God, I thank you so much for the privilege to be here this morning uh, to worship with uh, your church. I thank you that um, we have that opportunity to come and and gather and uh, find ourselves renewed by um, your word and renewed by um, your presence. God, I know in this room there are there's so many prayer requests for uh, loved ones who are sick, um, loved ones who don't know you, um, for people we work with, people we live next to, um, that we need you to do a mighty work in their lives. And God, use us um, in that plan. Um, God, we thank you that um, you've chosen us to minister to our neighbors, and um, we pray that you would um, use us in that work. I thank you that you uphold us with your righteous right hand as we go through trials, as we go through difficulties, and God, I pray that you would um, give us strength in every trial that we face. And it's in your name we pray, amen. It's great to be with you again here this morning. Um, I'm going to get started by reading our passage this morning. It's from Luke 5, uh, Luke 5, uh, 27 through 32. So if you've got a Bible or you've got your phone, um, go ahead and pull, uh, pull that out um, or, and open it or, I don't know, unlock it, I guess. Yeah, and um, go ahead and pull that out. And... Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read that this morning. Um, After this, um, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi uh, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, That's the very word of God. So today, we, you know, we've been working through this sermon series called uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And we've been looking at loving our neighbors, ministering to our neighbors well, being a good neighbor, that sort of thing. Um, today, we're actually going to focus in a little bit on neighbors who don't um, know or don't think that they need Jesus. Maybe neighbors that are a little bit like hard-hearted a little bit yet, we might say. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to tell you guys a story. So uh, I was in college um, in Missouri, and this, uh, and I was a junior, and uh, Chelsea, many of you know Chelsea, she's awesome, my girlfriend at the time, you know, weren't married yet, she came to pay me a visit, and we're walking in downtown Hannibal, Missouri, like where my college is, and suddenly I have a sharp pain in my chest, and a really sharp pain, and I was like, this is kind of weird, but it kind of faded to a dull ache, and I was like, okay, like, that's weird, you know, but... I think I'm fine. So later we went on a walk with some other friends who were in town, and I was a little more breathless than I usually would be. And again, I'm like, 
you know, I'm fine. I probably just need to hit the gym, you know, like I'm out of shape, you know, like whatever. Like I just need to go run and go work out. And so finally I'm still having like pain in my chest the next day. So I go to the ER with Chelsea and we wait for six hours. So yeah, so that was a doozy. And you know, we get blood work, chest x-ray, like whole works. And they're like, hey, everything is normal. Go home. And I'm like, okay, like, but why do I hurt, though? You know, like, like, why does my chest hurt? But I'm like, you know, I'm not a doctor. You know, I don't know anything about the medical field. So I must be fine. It's just in my head. So I, I go back to my dorm. I get up as normal. And I go to class. I take a Victorian literature test, you know, like, whatever. So I get out of class. And Chelsea comes, I mean, not sprinting, but walking very quickly towards me. And she's like, hey, like, have you checked your phone? I'm like, of course not. I'm a college guy. Why would I ever check my phone? Right? And so she's like, well, you should check. So it turns out, actually, the hospital had called my, tried to call me, then called my mom and says, hey, like, your son needs to go back to the hospital. So my mom calls Chelsea, who had never been on campus before. So bless her heart, she is running everywhere trying to find me on college campus. And um, so I call, and it turns out that I had a collapsed lung that they had actually, like, missed on my chest x-ray. And so, as you can imagine, we booked it, you know, to the hospital, like, get the care that I needed. So you're like, well, why do I tell this story? Well, did I need a doctor after I had that initial sharp pain in my chest? Yeah. Did I need a doctor when I went to the ER? Yeah. Did I need a doctor after they found my collapsed lung? Well, of course. So why didn't I go then until I got my correct chest x-ray reading. It's because I didn't know I had anything wrong with me, right? Like, I didn't know I was sick. You know, I didn't know I needed a doctor. And so some of our neighbors don't know that they need a doctor, right? They're, they're sick, but they don't know they need a doctor. And so it, I also want us to think about today, I want to look at, yeah, like our neighbors that don't know they need a doctor, but I also want to look at ourselves And ask the question, is it possible that some of us have forgotten our need for a doctor as well? So let's pray again, and then we'll get started. God, thank you for this time to open your word together. Um, Speak to us. Let us not just hear, but let us listen. Let us not just look, but let us see. Search our hearts and see if there is anything that needs to change. Test us and lead us in your Um, everlasting way. God, we love you, and we are here to hear from you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's kind of review these two groups of people that talked about in our passage. So we've got these tax collectors and sinners, right? And then we've got our Pharisees. And I just wanted to remind everyone why people didn't like tax collectors so much. All right, now... We still don't really like taxes today, you know, so there's that, right? But, like, but like, even if we don't like tax collectors today or taxes today, back then it was like a next-level, like, dislike, okay? So, you first of all, you've got, there is an actual legitimate tax that's, like, supposed to be collected. And, you know, Jesus elsewhere in Scripture says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Like, pay your taxes. But the problem is is that a lot of tax collectors were taking more than they were supposed to because that's how they get paid. So let's say the tax is, you know, 25%. They could be like, well, I'm actually going to charge you like, I don't know, 35% for taxes and I get to keep the other 10%. It's like my payment. 
And so even if you're a, a fair tax collector, there's an element of animosity, right, from the people around you. People don't like you very much. And then you get to people like Zacchaeus, right, who is like intentionally really gouging people. Then you can see why Zacchaeus was so disliked. You also, to be a tax collector, worked very closely with the Roman government. Now, if you remember, the Roman government has kind of come in and taken over the Holy Land as conquerors, as invaders, as an oppressive force. So if you're a tax collector, you're also working with the enemy. You're working with people who have oppressed God's people. So especially if you're, say, Matthew, as a tax collector, who's a Jew, you're going to be looked at as kind of a traitor, right? As a traitor politically, a traitor religiously, because you're working with those pagan Romans, right? And you're a traitor ethnically, right? You're working with these, these Romans, these dirty Romans, right? So tax collectors and sinners were like, the reason we see tax collectors and sinners a lot is because they are like, the lowest of the low sinners in the minds of a lot of the Pharisees especially, but even just your average Jewish person. And then we have the Pharisees. Now, look, I will be the first one to be like, the Pharisees are literally the worst, right? Okay, you know, like they're not, we don't like the Pharisees, right? But we, even though we may know them as like stuck-ups, stuffy rule followers, which is true to a certain extent, we, if we understand a little more about them, we can understand their behavior without excusing their behavior, if that makes sense. So they were concerned about ritual purity. So they had these nice, neat little boxes that everything fit into. There's, you know, the uh, ritually clean box. There's the ritually unclean box. There's the holy box. There's the profane box. And everyone and everything has to stay in these nice, neat little boxes. And in their minds, if the nation gets too unholy, it is going to be punished again, like it was in the Old Testament. We're gonzo, out. And so they want to make sure everyone absolutely does everything right in a holy manner. And they want the righteous to get rewarded. They want the sinners to get punished, right? Very straightforward. And they want to stay far away from anyone or anything that could contaminate their holiness, their goodness in God's eyes. And so as I'm describing the Pharisees, I don't know if you guys are like me, but sometimes I start to be like, eh, sounds a little too familiar, you know what I'm saying? Like, if they're be like, ooh, have I started thinking this way sometimes, you know? And so, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but... Also, the Pharisees were not an, it wasn't like an inherited position. You didn't like inherit the spot as a Pharisee. They're very reliant on the favor of the people. So you can see why they're so uh, grumpy about Jesus, because nobody threatened their favor with the people more than Jesus did. So while they were wrong, right, while they were um, obviously not understanding God's plan correctly, or kindly, or wisely, we can at least understand the large amount of pressure and fear that they're experiencing when Jesus comes to shake things up a little bit, um, for the better, but, you know, they don't quite get that. And um, I haven't, admittedly, don't come after me, I admittedly haven't seen a ton of The Chosen, 
right? But I have seen some scenes with Nicodemus. And while the chosen is not scripture, I do think they can, it can help us, you know, help the Bible come alive a little bit. And something I love about their portrayal of Nicodemus is they, they, rep, they give us that struggle that we only see a, wee, a tiny bit in the Bible, right? Of clinging to these old beliefs, this rule-following ways, but so desperately wanting to also follow after this new this new um, teacher, right? So, so what do these groups have in common, right? Jesus contrasts them. He says, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Does that mean Jesus didn't come for the Pharisees, right? Did he say, sorry, I'm signing you guys off. I didn't come for you guys. No, of course not, right? We can look other places in scripture and see that very plainly put forward. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that I came for the sinners because they and tax collectors, they realize they need a doctor, right? They realize that they're sick. They're, they're wanting to come to me. They're wanting to sit with me. They're wanting to have a meal with me. In a way, he's going to like, when is the last time you guys wanted to have a meal with me, right? You know, like, I would have a meal with the, you know, she's like, I'd have a meal with you guys, you know? But like, but he's like, you guys aren't willing to. You guys don't want to be near me, right? And he says, I came I'm specifically talking about these people because they want to be in my presence. They want to be in my disciples' presence. Which, side note, I I love scripture because it I notice new things all the time. Right? Um, One of my favorite quotes about scripture is, uh, "No one ever outgrows scripture; it widens and deepens with our years." So I feel like anytime I think I find the bottom of scripture, you just kick a little harder, and you're like, "Oh, there's a whole another." Hold on there, I've discovered it, right? Well, something I noticed this time is, if you look at verse uh, 30, who do the Pharisees and the scribes grumble at? Do they grumble at Jesus? No. They grumble at his disciples, right? So the Pharisees don't even go up to Jesus. They go and grumble at his disciples. Why does Jesus do this, right? Why do you, why do, um, why do you guys eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the Pharisees, maybe somewhat intimidated by Jesus, have decided, we're just going to go for the disciples Instead, And I love how Jesus then comes to his disciples' rescue with the answer. Because then Jesus answers them. The Pharisees are grumbling to the disciples, but Jesus then answers the Pharisees, which I just think is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, We also have this contrast of Matthew as the tax collector leaves everything. Right? He is willing to leave everything to be with Jesus. And then, but then you have the Pharisees clinging, clinging to their status, their position, their power. So we see this tale of two groups of people who are very different, very different, right? But what they both have in common is Jesus wants both of them, right? He wants the tax collectors and sinners, right? And he wants the people who are righteous, right? The people who, who think, I've got it all together, so I don't, really need, I don't really need a savior, right, like the Pharisees. So what I, what I want to ask two questions to y'all this morning, and the first one is, on whom or what do your neighbors rely? So as we've been thinking, I know, I know P-Dave and, uh, and, and Kyle and um, Pastor Bill, they've all been challenging you all to think of neighbors, of your neighbors. Like, I, I know, I think the first week especially, Pastor Dave mentioned, like, 
Think of the neighbors in your sphere. Who are they? You know, that kind of thing. So if you've got those notes, like, you can, t- like, look at those to refresh your memory. But, like, what kind of neighbors do you have? All right. So maybe you do have, you know, I'll call them the tax collector and sinner neighbor, right, which is a little harsh. Maybe don't call them that. But, you, you know, you've got, like, those neighbors who recognize that they have a need. Right, like you think of the other in our society who know they're struggling, know they have problems, like want help, at least physically. Maybe they're not ready for the spiritual help yet, but they at least physically know they have a need. They have a, a, a hole they're trying to fill, right? But I think more than likely, a lot of the neighbors you guys have are who we could call kind of the Pharisee neighbors. And that they're relying on their own goodness to, um, to get by. They say, well, you know, like, I'm, you know, you've probably heard the, like, well, I've never killed anyone before, right? You know, like, I haven't done anything too bad, or I'm a pretty good person. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, don't say, actually, you're a terrible person. Don't say that, okay? But, but you do have to bring up, well, okay, like, I'm glad you're a stand-up person, but the reality is that a stand-up person is not a perfect person, right? And, like, eternity with a perfect God demands perfection, right? And so these neighbors, like, that have kind of this, like, I'm getting by on my own goodness can be hard to reach because they don't think they need a doctor. They think they're already well. So to, so to get through to people, you can't just tear that down in one go, like I said, and be like, you're actually awful, or you're actually terrible, you're actually a dirty, rotten sinner, right? Not super helpful. What that demands is a close relationship. Like, have you guys ever thought that part of the reason Jesus uh, focus, uses this neighbor language is because even though neighbors can be literal or figurative, being a neighbor requires closeness requires relationship so whether they're your literal next door neighbors or figurative neighbors both of those relationships both of those relationships require closeness proximity before you get to helping people understand you do you do need a doctor so i want you guys to think through that right but i also want to ask the question about ourselves on whom or on what do we rely? Because I think before we tackle this question with our neighbors, we need to tackle this question with ourselves. You know, I'm, I don't know the you know, state of everyone's salvation in this room, right? Only God knows. But I also don't ever want to make the assumption that on any given Sunday, everyone I'm preaching to is a believer, Right, so maybe you're still in this state of like kind of being with the world, like I'm relying on a, like a certain philosophy or the world to get by, and I just want to call you to the fact that Jesus is better than anything the world has to offer. It's 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 hard to turn Jesus to turn to Jesus and leave everything the world has to offer, but Jesus is better. So if you're here and you're like, I don't know exactly where I'm at in that. Don't be like, I've been coming to this church for 15 years, and I am scandalized and embarrassed that I don't know this. Okay, there's, it's not, I always tell the students, if, if you get something wrong, I'm not banishing you. Okay, like if you're in Sunday school and you give me a wrong answer, I'm not going to kick you out of Sunday school. Okay, so if you come and you don't know something, even if it's something 
that you see as rudimentary as the gospel, come talk, like, come talk, come ask, all right? Don't be ashamed. But, like I said, I don't know if you guys are like me, but you may be more in the state of being like the Pharisees, where we are saved, but sometimes if we're not careful, we fall into this trap of, of wanting to be separate from the world. Jesus does say we are not of the world, but he does say we are in the world, right? And it's this weird side-by-side of we need to be in the world reaching our neighbors while also maintaining our connection with Christ. But, I, but it seems like we err on one side or the other. And for me, I definitely will err sometimes on the side of like, you know, like I'm going to stay over here and you go about your, you know, business over here. Um, and, I, and I know that, too, sometimes we put on a front like we have everything together. Right? Like, I'm a Christian. Like, I have everything together. I go to church every Sunday. I'm in three different Bible studies. I, you know, I know a lot about the Bible. And all those things are great. Don't get me wrong. Like, do those things. Right? Share that you do those things. But I will say this, is that when we put up this front that we have everything together as Christians, I think sometimes we scare our neighbors away, whether or not they, they realize it. You know, like, well... This friend of mine has, has it all figured out. How can I share with them my, my struggles when, you know, like, they don't seemingly have any, right? And there's a big culprit to this, and its name is social media, right? I do not get me wrong. I am on social media plenty, all right? So this is one of those statements where the pastor had to preach to himself before he preached to y'all. All right. So, but when you get on social media, how many people, how many of your friends show all of their failings on social media? Right? Probably not very many. You get on social media, it's all these smiling, happy faces, you know. Especially, I was informed by the students that only old people are on Facebook, which dagger in the heart, right? But this is especially on Instagram, okay? Especially on Instagram, where it's just pictures. You just get the perfected, everything-together appearance. And the reality is, is that's just not the case. It's okay to not be okay, all right? Even for Christians. Like, it is okay if you are struggling, if you're having a bad day. And the beauty of that is that we don't have to stay there as we can turn to Christ to get us through whatever is ailing us physically spiritually mentally all of those things we need to continually realize that we need a doctor we have to rely on one person and that person is jesus if we for one minute think that someone or something else has redeemed us or given us hope then that person or that thing has now become an idol I mean, this includes bad things, right? But what's wild is this includes positive things. Like, even good things can become an idol. So we need to see where we are. Are we relying on Jesus? Truly relying on Jesus? And if not, why not? And so how all of this works together 
is that our neighbors are most effectively reached when we share our past and our present reliance on Jesus. Because sometimes we portray ourselves, intentionally or not, in a pharisaical manner. Are we sharing... Are we sharing with our neighbors that Jesus has redeemed us once and for all? I hope the answer is yes. But are we also sharing that we still depend on him in a variety of ways on a daily basis? So often when we share our testimony, we think, well, that happened, for many of you, that probably happened a a while ago, right? You know, when you were younger or, you know, it, it happened a while ago. So if you're sharing with your neighbor, they're going to be like, okay, well, that was, you know, now they've got it all together. That was years ago. But how did you rely on Jesus yesterday? You know, like yesterday as you went about your day, how did you rely on Jesus yesterday? How did you rely on Jesus two days ago, last week? Like, how are you relying on Jesus today? You know, like, how did, how did you need the great physician this morning? You know? So as we share with our neighbors, don't just share the, the victory of the ultimate, the ultimate victory has been won. Don't share just that, but share also how Jesus is regularly helping you fight the battles that are still occurring, even though the victory has been won. And um, I wanted to share with you 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, because I think this is what Paul challenges us to do here. He says, uh, he's given a thorn in the flesh, and he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may reside on me. Christ is most glorified in you when he overcomes your weakness that you could not do on your own. And, that is, and there is few more powerful testimonies to hard-hearted neighbors than that. And so, something, this is something I've been learning. Like I said, I've, been pre, I've tried to preach things to myself before I preach them to you. And so I am not asking you to do anything that I'm not already doing myself. So, for example, I, I struggle with anxiety and depression. And every couple of weeks, I have a really bad day. Like, I lay in the bed for a couple of hours, can't really do much, kind of struggling um, a bit. And I get, And I have help, like... Like, I see a counselor. He's awesome. Shout out if he's watching. Um, I, uh, I, take, I, I take medication. But what's beautiful is, like, that's not all I have, right? Those things are important. Like, get the help you need. But God's word and those things aren't in opposition. They work beautifully together. So when I'm struggling, I can look at Ephesians 2, which is we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. I can think of Psalm 139, for we are beautifully and wonderfully made. And I rejoice because of that. Sorry, paraphrasing. Um, 
we have Galatians 2. I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be attained through the law. Christ I for nothing. Psalm 91. Those who rest in the shadow of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 23. God, has given, God is my shepherd. He's given me everything I need. Right? Sorry I get emotional. I don't know why. Because God's word is beautiful. Right? So as you share with your neighbors, don't be afraid to say, hey, I struggle too. And that's beautiful. Because we're hurt. We're scared. And your neighbors are too. Even the most intimidating, hardest of hearted neighbors are frightened. And so I challenge you, go share with them. How are you struggling? So this week, Let's give testimony to how God has saved us. And we are redeemed people. But let's also give testimony how God continues to work mightily in us as we face trials, as we face struggles, as we face temptations. Let's allow our neighbors to know it's okay if they need a doctor because we needed and need one too. Oh, goodness. All we have is Christ. Worship team, you can come up here. That's it. God is our Savior. God is our redemption. He is our sacrifice, our great high king. He's he's all we have. But there is nothing, there is no one better. So this week, share that. I challenge you, share that with your neighbors. Right? Share how you struggle. Let, we are challenged as Christians to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. But we can't do that if we don't let people know how we're struggling, right? So share that with your neighbors and share that with your Christian, Christian brothers and sisters so that we can weep with you, rejoice with you. So uh, let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for um, your sufficiency for us. Thank you that, um, that you have made us a redeemed people. Thank you that you have won the ultimate victory so that we can go through life with boldness and confidence, proclaiming that um, you have conquered sin and death, and that um, we can have confidence serving you as Lord. Um, I pray that you would help us to um, be be open with our struggles, be open with our battles, even with our neighbors who may not know you, God. And that's hard. But let us use our weaknesses. Let us share our weaknesses in a way that points to you as the overcomer who has overcome all of our struggles in our life. Help us be powerful eyewitnesses to what you have done in your life. God, we have nothing more to share than simply what you have done for us. But God, that's all we need. We just have to testify to your greatness, your goodness, your strength. And even though that's, that's one thing, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's what we needed to hear. That's what our neighbors need to hear. So work mightily in us as, you sh- as we share the one thing we have.
Amen.